all these things are interconnected and without predators, we, we lose that link that is actually, I think, way more important than meets the eye in many instances. This is Defender Radio. Michael Howie, and this is Defender Radio, the podcast for wildlife advocates and animal lovers. Wildlife conflict is a major issue across Canada and around the world. As humans continue to alter landscapes, break down connectivity of ecosystems, and attempt to control environments without consideration for the complex relationships between predators, prey, and other organisms, it seems this conflict is increasing. Increasing alongside this is the need for research into how to prevent and mitigate conflict. A recent literature review, supplemented with original research findings by the author, highlights some of the major flaws in how humans have been managing predator conflict. Robert James Lennox, a PhD candidate at Carleton University, and his co-authors conducted a review into existing studies on predator removal. Their results were published in a study entitled Evaluating the Efficacy of Predator Removal in a Conflict-Prone World in the August 2018 edition of the journal Biological Conservation. Robert found, in paraphrased words of his abstract, that predator removal only showed efficacy in the short term and tended to be an ineffective and costly approach to conflict prevention and resolution. The results of his review also showed that coexistence methods were more successful. While on a research trip in French Polynesia, Robert found time to join Defender Radio to discuss his motivations for the paper, the difficulties in defining success and failure, and why more research into predator management and coexistence matters. Why don't we uh, talk a bit about how this got started? What was the sort of the impetus for the study? Sure. um, I'm really lucky as an ecologist that I get to kind of live out my dream and study things that interest me. And I have an advisor at Carleton University that really supports me in kind of taking on projects that answer questions that I really want to know the answer to. And the thesis focuses on and migration biology, but I've gotten to work on various other projects in other countries with lots of other people and indigenous groups and My experiences have kind of taken me to places where predators have been uh, sometimes common and sometimes rare. So I do a lot of work in Norway where predators are extremely rare. And I do a lot of work in Guyana where predators are extremely common. And I started to kind of notice that there were, regardless of whether they were abundant or rare, there was always kind of perceptions of conflict with predators and it made me wonder whether or not the perceived conflicts leading to or the the perceived problems leading to conflicts were were actually solving anything and in Canada we have lots of debate about it with cod and seals and and it just seems to be sort of a universal paradigm that people believe that predators are the problem and they become potentially a scapegoat or or an easy uh an easy target because it's obvious that predators are are consuming prey and i just wondered 
is the solution that is the is the simple solution an effective solution really and I, I looked for something in the literature that would help me help guide this and there's some review papers there's people that have thought about this a lot but there was nothing that really discussed failure versus success in a lot of these uh, a lot of these experiments or a lot of these these management issues and I, I started to look through the literature and I, I really sincerely wondered whether or not this was something that was going to be consistently successful and was going to be consistently a failure or whether there were going to be times when it was successful and times when it, it failed. And what I found really overwhelmingly was that it was extremely difficult to find even kind of circumstantial evidence that it was it was for accomplishing uh, anything that was ecologically sustainable, at least in, in my view. So I, I, I worked with uh, Austin Gallagher and Juan Ritchie. Um, Austin's with University of Miami, and he's also with Carleton University. And Juan is at uh, Deakin University in Australia, or UN, sorry. And, uh, and we kind of worked together to put together, to compile some research on this and look at uh, look at three different issues of predator removal for uh, enhancing uh, livestock production or domestic animal production, for uh, protecting commercially, recreationally, or otherwise uh, important species, species of conservation concern potentially, and and kind of protecting humans from some from predators or or at least the perceived risk of predators. So anyway, I kind of went on a little long there, I think, but <laughs> that's, that's, that, all that's right. sort of the background on how I, how we kind of put together this project. What motivated us? One of the first things you do in the paper is define what successful predator removal looks like. Uh, how, how did you do that? And I think this is something I've talked about with um, uh, Adrian Travis, as well as a few other people uh, is the lack of available data is a big problem. Uh, so how did you define successful predator removal? What would that look like for the, the purposes of your research? Yeah, so in order to actually evaluate a lot of the papers, whether or not they were successful, we had to come up with our own definition because a lot of, a lot of individual studies are motivated by different, uh, different factors. So what, what may have been successful successful to in in their view would not necessarily be successful in our view so we had to be consistent in how we kind of evaluated and and applied our our evaluation so we recognize really that a lot of these issues are not just ecological issues they're social issues as well and we but we we wanted to really look at it from an ecological standpoint so there's, there's going to be times that it may not make any sense ecologically and socially, it may be the only option. So I work in Guyana where, uh, you know, there's a jaguar in the village that's eating people's chickens and dogs and people are legitimately worried that it might eat their children because that can happen. And it may be that ecologically it doesn't make sense, but socially it may be the, the only way that they can be protected from something that is potentially threatening them in an area where they don't have a lot of uh, 
resources for security, for example. Uh, but from an ecological standpoint, in our from our perspective, it had to be uh, an action that could that could uh, make a difference in the long term without eliminating the predator, basically. So the goal shouldn't be to extinguish or, or persecute an animal to extinction. The goal, the goal, if it's going to work, should be to remove remove a few so that the population remains okay, but the conflicts are are eliminated kind of in the long term. And that's a pretty ambitious goal. Uh, but I mean, I think that when you're talking about when you're talking about a serious management action that you should have a or there should be an ambitious goal and there should be targets and there should be evaluation of whether those targets are met and follow up and uh, kind of long term monitoring to see whether or not the the action is actually having the intended effects. And that's the only way to really make decisions going forward about whether or not this is something that uh, should be applied consistently. And in the absence of that, I think that our review paper uh, really provides some good general uh, information to anybody that is dealing with a problem like this uh, to think really critically about whether or not the removing a predator is the, the most likely most efficient, most effective method of handling a conflict. That definitely comes up in your uh, part on protection of domestic animals, which as our listeners know, and as, as you know, is likely one of the larger reasons for predator culls in Canada, I would argue, uh, in that uh, particularly with livestock, uh, wolves, coyotes, and various other predators do get targeted frequently. And I appreciate that you show that you can reduce conflict when known predators are dispatched uh, in the statements, but removals must often be of sufficient frequency or magnitude that they actually affect the population size or structure of the predator such that immigration does not compensate for removal. And that's obviously a, a big issue. Is part of this, when you were setting out to write this, I'll phrase it this way, did you have any difficulty in in that balance as you mentioned of societal versus ecological uh because as we know societal that i mean culturally predator removal is ingrained uh particularly with with domestic animals so was that a challenge in sort of building up this entire study in writing it and in presenting your findings uh that's sort of acknowledging that like Yes, culturally, this is acceptable sometimes, and there's even some evidence that it works, but... Pretty much exactly it. Um, I actually... It was really important to me to write a, a balanced paper with the perspectives because it's, you know, I I legitimately hope that people read this and they find it, that it is helpful and useful in uh, managing whatever their they're trying to manage and uh it was really difficult to find examples of success and i think if you read the the success section of this paper pretty critically you'll notice that the successes are all kind of qualified with statements that suggest that well it was successful but <laughs> uh you know there's some caveats and it you know 
you know, it may have been successful and the study ended and we don't really know what happened in years after that. So it's really more of a failure because if we don't know what happened, then how is that successful? Uh, in terms of the livestock issue, uh, absolutely. Like I said, these are social ecological systems and human attitudes and perceptions are not insignificant. They may in some areas be more important, uh, but you know, a lot of conservation is changing attitudes, using evidence and data to um, to us in kind of understanding that there's better ways forward that will actually benefit them more in the long term. So, I mean, I think that we, I think that this kind of shows that potentially we need better solutions and we need to think more critically about uh, the actions that are taken. Uh, especially when we have the opportunity to do so. I mean, sometimes I recognize that there may be instances where management has to be really reactionary, but I think in most cases, the time can be taken to, you know, think about the options and, and triage a bit. And it seems as, it seems as though from the literature, a lot of non-lethal alternatives, when they were compared, uh, so when studies compared lethal alternatives to non-lethal alternatives, it seemed pretty consistent that there was no difference or the non-lethal alternative was better. And unfortunately, there aren't enough studies actually comparing that. Uh, so I think there's a need for more of those studies. And also, there's potentially an opportunity to kind of implement non-lethal alternatives first value and 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 then reevaluate if if it's working if more needs to be done if the approach needs to change but uh, i think pretty consistently you can see throughout this paper that even when there are successes it's really hard to call them a, an unqualified success and to say that mm -hmm. no nothing else would have worked i find it interesting that you write um removing predators presumes that uh, ecosystem level responses are predictable yet theoretical and empirical evidence suggests the contrary. Uh, sorry, often suggests the contrary. That's something I've wondered about. And uh, as a non-scientist, it is interesting to see that uh, in this paper sort of saying, it's hard to know what's going to happen when we do this. Yet the way policy is often enacted is a very clear, oh, we're going to do this and that will happen. Um, is this something that needs to be considered more, this this uncertainty? And I don't mean that from a scientific term, but this is we don't know to a degree uh, when we're talking about implementation of some of these uh, non-reversible management systems. That's exactly, I mean, ecosystems are extremely complex, especially uh, especially tempered and tropical ones with a lot of different links. And is i mean it's pretty consistent that when you remove a top predator you get mesopredator release which basically means that the smaller predators like when you remove a wolf or a wolf population coyotes tend to proliferate and in a lot of places coyotes end up causing worse problems and the lack of wolves in the ecosystem kind of exacerbates the problems in the long term and that that's kind of an example of how how these responses can be unpredictable and 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 the links are not usually as simple as just sort of getting rid of the problem and it's fixed it's 
you know, these are really integrated problems that can persist for, for many, like you said, they're irreversible when you kind of disrupt the balance. So I think it's pretty, uh, it's wishful thinking to, to believe that you can really know exactly what's going to happen as a consequence of making a, a drastic change to an ecosystem, no matter what that change is, whether it's an introduction of a new species or a removal of a species. It's, it's a, you know, it's a fine balance and it shouldn't be taken lightly by anybody. And I don't, I'm not suggesting that anybody does take it lightly, lightly, but just that, you know, there are a lot of, a lot of examples where predator removal results in exacerbating the problem and not actually solving it, which to me going into this, I did not expect, honestly, I didn't expect there to be three or four examples where predators were, were removed and conflicts increased in subsequent years. But that, you know, that's what the data show. That's actually a fairly consistent pattern. And the reasoning makes sense. You, you give opportunities to other predators that, uh, or mesopredators that in the absence of the top predator, kind of become more abundant and when they're more abundant they, they require more resources because there's more of them and they end up creating worse conflict than you started with and you end on two notes and I'd, I'd love to hear your thoughts on both of these and this is um i i have do this this show weekly i interview researchers like yourself from various parts of the world and these two points are coming up consistently, uh, albeit I do cherry pick the studies a bit, uh, that we need more research because there is so much we don't know and so much of what we do currently isn't properly being measured. Uh, and I think you make a very clear case for that just with the very principle of this study of let's compare it and there's no hard quantified uh, measurables. There's no saying like, this is what a success looks like, I think is the perfect example. Uh, and then the other part of that is the need to promote coexistence. Uh, so I'm wondering if you can talk a little bit about first, what future research needs to be um, to make sure we're doing the best we can for the planet, as well as the people who inhabit it, the animals who inhabit it. And why promoting coexistence is something that yourself and other researchers are more commonly talking about. Okay, so I'll talk first um, about what, what, what research needs to be done. And the thing that really got me thinking a lot throughout this process was really wondering why there are pumps towards predator removal when it works so poorly <laughs> uh, in my, I mean, my experience reviewing the literature, I thought, why is anybody really thinking this is so, such a great solution, you know? Uh, for in, in Australia, for example, the issue of removing sharks on beaches, uh, is really highly contested by people that actually use the beach, use the resource, use the beaches. People don't hate sharks, as far as I can tell. Uh, a lot of people respect sharks. 
just like a lot of people respect bears and wolves. And I couldn't really, I couldn't find any research discussing whether or not people felt safer going to beaches where sharks were removed. And, and they shouldn't because sharks are highly mobile, mostly migratory. So removing one shark that happens to be off a beach one day is really unlikely to have any effect. And there's a really long-term study from Hawaii showing that a shark removal program across several decades had no influence on bites. And if so if, if human attitudes aren't even being influenced in a positive way or or there's no measurable improvement in the in the conflict or there's no change in the uh, change in the problem then then why is this something that persists and and I I really don't know the answer it seems to me as though there's a lot of alternative options. There's a lot of there's a really ripe opportunity right now for research into how alternatives to removal uh, function. And I'd like to see more of that. Honestly, I'd like to see more comparative studies. I'd like to see longer term studies. Uh, there are places where predator removal happens. Uh, based on the my results in this paper, I think that that's uh, not always advisable, but obviously you have to take it in a case-by-case -case basis. And like I said earlier, you have to consider the social context of it and, and there's other aspects to it. But I think that provides an opportunity to conduct research that really is sorely needed uh, to look at long-term effects on both the predator and the prey population uh, and look at the attitudes of people in the area and whether they change during periods of predator, predator removal uh, and also simultaneously try to compare whatever action is being implemented to an alternative action to see whether or not the two are complementary, synergistic or antagonistic um, and, and really kind of try to get to the bottom of whether or not this is something that is ever functional as far as i can tell it's it's rare and unlikely but you know with more research it might show that it's just entirely unnecessary and just a touch on coexistence uh as i said that's one that comes up frequently and it it is almost a little surprising to me um that it comes up from researchers who pride themselves like you do clearly on on having sort of a an unbiased uh look at things how do we talk about coexistence in a way that shows that there is scientific evidence for it as well as potentially a, a social benefit to it and why is it important that researchers uh be the ones who are having some of these conversations uh, I mean, it's only important for researchers to be having these conversations because it's what the research shows, honestly. I mean, from, from the data that I collected from a, a lot of different papers, it shows that you're better off having predators in, in the ecosystem. And for a lot of different reasons, from generally a more balanced ecosystem to better opportunities for tourism. Uh, I mean, in Scandinavia, 
when you have more wolves, you have fewer moose and you have fewer car crashes. <laughs> you know, like there's a direct hmm. correlation between human safety and having a healthy predator pop population. And it's just sort of a, I mean, it's, it's a per perception really that you're unsafe because there's wolves around, but that's actually, it's actually the opposite, you know? Uh, and I wouldn't have necessarily made that connection right off the bat. You have to look through the literature and look through the data and, and believe what the data tell you and do follow-up studies if, if you think there are flaws, but, uh, you know, like I said earlier, these are really complex systems and it's, it's just not good practice to make assumptions or, or jump to conclusions about what you believe to be correct or what you want to be correct, because there's, there's a lot going on. So there's lots of unanticipated benefits of predators and coexistence really, I think benefits people and ecosystems as much as it benefits the predators themselves. Uh, so coexistence, I mean, I'm not an advocate personally. I mean, I, I try to answer difficult questions and provide good advice and help people understand really complex uh, ecological issues that I myself want to learn about because I, I don't necessarily always know the answers. I did this research because I really wanted to answer this question and I think that I have and I, I want to communicate to other people what I found and what what my conclusions are and I want other people to think critically about those conclusions and try to come up with ways in which these conclusions can be uh, strengthened or added to so that we can come up with the best possible understanding of our resources. So coexistence, I mean, it's not something that I in the paper I'm advocating for, I wouldn't say. It's not something that I'm saying, uh, you know, this is this is something that we have to do for uh, any other reason than it's what the studies consistently show to be the best path forward for uh, the world that we want to live in, basically, a world where we have a lot of predators, a lot of prey species, uh, a safe environment, a good economy. Uh, I think all these things kind of come back to having a healthy predator community. It starts at the top, I think. From I, I mean, there's obviously a lot of bottom-up processes as well. There's always pressure points pushing up and down. But if you have unhealthy or ineffective predator communities, the effects really are visible at all other levels. You have mesopredators, you have herbivores, you have uh, changes to the plant dynamics because the herbivores have different abundance and, and it goes right and it comes right back to humans with the car crash issue. It's uh, I mean, all these things are interconnected and without predators, we, we lose that link that is actually, I think, way more important than meets the eye in many instances. And I hope that people read this or listen to this podcast and, and think, differently about uh the role that predators play in their not just in their ecosystems not just in their national parks but you know at the cabin and at the cottage like in their in their own real world
I want to thank Robert for working with me to get this interview done, as our internet connection was a little bit rough last week. I also want to thank Dr. Michelle Booz for technical scientific assistance in writing this week's episode. Remember to follow me on Facebook at Defender Radio Podcast, Twitter at Defender Radio, and Instagram at Howie Michael to stay up to date on the show, see some fun pictures of my dogs, and more. You can also support the show through Patreon at patreon.com slash Defender Radio. Until next time, I'm Michael Howie for Defender Radio, reminding you to stay informed and stay strong. Defender Radio.